Welcome back to the Exposure Ninja podcast. You're back with me and Tim again this week after quite a few weeks of not both of us with some extra special guest stars, including Dale and Dale. But you have both of us back again. I hope you're excited as we are because we're quite buzzing to be back together to be able to do this. Tim, did you have some nice time off? Um, no, I had one of the worst holidays of my life, actually. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway, we... <laughs> In other news. Moving swiftly on, moving swiftly on. At least we have a jam-packed podcast full of lots of fun news to talk about. Starting with threads. Daily active users are down by 20% and time spent in the app is down 50% for 20 minutes to 10 minutes, which from the outside, obviously sounds very, very bad. Sounds awful. Sounds like it's total failure. But I do not agree with this. One bit, and I wonder if you're in the same boat, Tim. Do you think it means that the app is going to crash and burn? Or I'd love to know your thoughts. Uh, I think that the daily active users might be dropping and time in the app might be dropping even further. There was a statistical report yesterday that says, I think, average time's gone from like 21 minutes on a peak on the 7th of July to maybe six minutes since then. Yeah. I don't know. I know that, Jess, you're a big fan of Feds, aren't you? You love it. Yes. Um, yeah, I have been enjoying it. I would say I've been using it less, but my reasoning for that is because the algorithm's been a bit wacky. So I was accessing the app and every single person coming up on my feed was not somebody I was following and not somebody who was relevant to me. But it seems like that has now worked itself out and I'm getting those Twitter-esque recommendations of like, I'm getting people I follow, I'm getting things that my people I follow are commenting on. And then I'm getting some stuff that might be relevant to me. So I wonder if that might have put some people off. No. I have seen some people say that if Threads doesn't get a following tab quite soon, they're going to leave um, because Twitter does have that following tab. I mean, it took them quite a long time to get said following tab. Um, so I think, you know, Threads obviously has a precedent it needs to live up to in the form of Twitter. Um, but I do think that, yes, it was hype as with any new thing. And it was extra with this because it was the Instagram users coming over, right? So they were like, what is this shiny new thing? I've never used an app like this before. I've got no interest in Twitter. What's this? Oh, it's just Twitter. I'm leaving. Um, so I think the people that will stick around, like myself, are people who were looking for a Twitter alternative and quite like that the, the two platforms are integrated. Um, but it seems like maybe you think that... Um, it might just continue to drop potentially. I don't, I don't know. I, th I think, I think the drop that we've seen since it opened was was kind of inevitable. And it, in some ways, I think it's a bit unfair to look at the drop in users and say, "Well, this is a sign that people don't like it." Because, like most, it's, it's grown in a completely backwards way to how most social networks grow, where they start with exactly. zero users, and then over time you get the creators that find their flow and start to build an audience and you get the, the sort of content that works in that ecosystem that the app gets filled with that. So if we think about TikTok, yeah. all the early users who worked out how to use TikToks to get the most engagement and they had a bit of time to practice in the dark and learn what that format was. Um, and then by the time later users came on, they were coming into this thriving ecosystem. Whereas yeah. Threads is completely the opposite. All of a sudden, day one, they just open the floodgate, 100 million users basically pour in almost immediately. And 
there was none of that history, none of that culture had been built. So I think it's a little bit extreme to say, well, you know, the the drop has been so precipitous, this means Threads is dead. But having said that, I do think that Threads needs to find its niche. It needs to find its own culture. It needs to get creators that are investing in Threads first and foremost foremost and probably seeing some incredible success because that's when you really get creators focusing as soon as that organic reach is really high and people are able to build large audiences than they have elsewhere then you get the best creators investing a lot of time and energy into the app and that's when it becomes really addictive as a user so i think jury's out but it certainly hasn't you know people were expecting maybe the twitter usage was going to plummet and threads was just going to take it all Obviously, that hasn't been the case. I don't think it's had a noticeable yeah. impact on Twitter usage. No, I never thought it was going to take away from Twitter because I figured that's a totally different audience. Yeah. And a lot of people over on Twitter don't want to be part of Meta. And a lot of people over on Meta don't want to be a part of Twitter. So kind of they're almost two separate people, two separate groups of people. Yes, there are definitely people who use Twitter and use the Meta products and who do use threads. But a lot of them are just like, well, I still like Twitter, so I might as well focus my time over there. So I think, yeah. What we will indeed have to see how that goes. But I'm not, I don't think it's down and out um, completely. I think it's still got skin in the game. Yeah. As they say, it'll just be interesting to see how it evolves and grows over the next year or so, or even over the next few months, really. Yeah. I mean, it's, it seems even ludicrous that we'd be talking about declaring an app which is like less than two weeks old dead, um, especially one that, you know, does have 100 million signups. It's on 100 million phones out there somewhere so yes. yeah agreed uh and, and hopefully you know hopefully it does win because i think what we're seeing you know most social networks don't have that much competition in the you know in their media form right so you've got tiktok and then it's kind of got youtube shorts but actually that's turned into a completely different thing you've got instagram reels which is kind of competition but most social networks they own their own space they own whether it's video or image or short form video or text and it's really interesting to see actually basically two apps with very similar functionality playing off against each other so i really like this i think this is maybe like we're seeing with ai where we've got all these different chatbots that are kind of really growing and developing it's not just chat gpt um anymore i think this is like the era of competition i quite like it i completely agree with you and i definitely say if you're a marketer watching this thinking what should i do about threads just carry on doing what you were doing before. If you made a decision potentially not to join, then that's chill. If you've been using it and seeing some good results, you should carry on. Like you don't need to make any drastic decisions just because people are like, oh my God, the new hype app is no longer getting millions of signups a day. You know, it's fine. You can carry on. Just carry on as you are. Look at your own data. Don't worry about what other people are doing and just see whether it's it's right fit um, for you. Moving on to our next topic, which I was very cleverly managed to shoot on this in, is much to potentially Tim's dismay. And I think you could probably look at it from a marketing point of view and think, do you know what? This is really smart, um, which is the Barbie movie. I was also very chuffed about Dale's thumbnail for this video. I thought he did an absolutely amazing job using the Barbie color scheme and logo. I thought it looked great. Um, but the reason why we want to talk about this is because there has been over 100 grand collaborations in the lead up to this film. I would say right now, you cannot move without this film getting advertised to you in one way or another, you know? And yes, there's the classic clothes based on it, makeup based on it, roller skates, because they wear roller skates in the um, in the, in the the movie. But then Airbnb's done a collaboration, renting out a Barbie 
Malibu house as well. And then Doctor Who did a pink TARDIS because their next Doctor, Shooty, is in the Barbie movie. So they were like, let's collaborate these two together and put a TARDIS in London that's bright pink that people can go look at. So I feel like there's a lot. Even Google has been in on the hype. I'm not sure if it's still up, but if you type in um, Ryan Gosling or Margot Robbie into Google right now, it comes up with like pink sparkles all over the screen and all the blue links are pink instead which is a lot of fun. So even the big players are um, are jumping in on this. And I just thought it was really worth talking about from a marketer's perspective in terms of like, we don't necessarily agree here with the rule of like exposing your brand to people seven times and then they'll buy from you, right? Because if you're just like Temu, I've blocked the hell out of them. On every platform, I blocked their main account and now I've blocked their UK account because immediately after I blocked their account on one Instagram story I went to the next one there was Temu UK you know it doesn't make you want to buy but if you do it right and really think about the collaborations you want to do the people you want to work with you know where you want to get your visibility that amount of saturation can be really really effective and I'd, I'd really like to know if you have any thoughts on this tip before I kind of dive into some of the interesting conversations that we've we've read around this um yeah well, I, I initially thought i don't know how they've managed to get all these collabs with everyone this this has been i can't remember a film that has been marketed this heavily so i looked into the spend and word on the street is about 100 million dollars of, of marketing budget has gone behind this which sounds like a massive number the film i think the production budget is like 145 million so I think in, in movies, you usually spend about half the budget of the production on marketing. But 100 million isn't a huge, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a fairly chunky. It's a big number, but not in but context, In movie right? terms, yeah, like it, this is, it's not massively higher than a typical Marvel movie. But yet the reach that they've managed to get by all these non-traditional and surprising collabs, like you had a picture outside a pink Doctor Who TARDIS on the banks of the River Thames, I think. Yeah. You've got yeah, the yeah. Google search results page being taken over. All of these really crazy, surprising things. That's what gets people talking, right? They could have just bought every billboard in the town and people wouldn't have really talked about it in the same way because it's not surprising. It doesn't sort of pique that curiosity. So, uh, you know, as it, as much as it's possible to say they've spent $100 million in a really sort of lean and high leverage way, I actually think they have. They've got such incredible reach from this, from basically a typical mar movie marketing budget. And I'm just blown away at the, the the level of thought and then the level of ambition behind this is, yeah, just sort of blown my mind, really. <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's um, they've really thought about where their audience is, the brands that their audience already connects with and how they feel about the product, let's say, because Barbie is a product after all. So they've kind of looked in those places and then made sure they are there. You know, they've made sure that they're commenting on the things that that people really care about. Um, and I actually was reading a conversation from Marketing Week with Mattel's like global head of Barbie and Dolls portfolio. What a job title, um, Lisa McKnight, who said that like about eight years ago, they really felt like the brand had lost its way. So there's another lesson here as well, right? In eight years, they've managed to go from a brand that's lost its way to one of the biggest movie releases that we've ever seen, right? right? And they really wanted to work to bring it back to like its roots. Um, their their like positioning is they want to inspire the limitless the limitless potential in every girl. 
And if you look back to like when Barbie was was sort of in its early days, you know, she was like the only woman, single woman to own her own house, you know, and they were really like pushing all these different things. And yeah, there's a lot of jokes about all the different jobs that Barbie's had, but there was a purpose behind that. And they just felt like they'd really lost that and gone into this really like bland, average space and hadn't really caught up to today's sort of standards. Um, and they said that the reason why they're doing so well is that they have taken a lot of risks and got out of their comfort zone. You know, whether that's the Barbies themselves, making them more diverse, collaborating with people that you wouldn't normally expect Barbie to collaborate with. And in this case, you know, they're doing risky things. They've done, you mentioned billboards earlier. Yes, they are doing billboards for this movie. They're just bright pink with a date in the corner. You know, they're Barbie pink with a date in the corner. That's kind of risky. You know, if you haven't done your research and just think, oh, I'm just going to put my brand color out there and then people will know, then that could be an absolute failure. But because they've done their research and they understand the things that people connect to their brand, like this Pantone pink that's specifically called Barbie pink, you know, they know that they can get away with it. And I just think it's fantastic. And I mean, there's been endless memes about it to the point that Oppenheimer, totally different movie that's being released on the same day has had their marketing team can just sit back at this point because the amount of people that I've seen, you know, an amount of memes I've seen from people who would never ever consider going to see a movie like Oppenheimer being like, who's doing the Oppenheimer Barbie double bill, you know, because it's just the juxtaposition of these two things. It's just so bizarre. Like I haven't even seen a trailer for Oppenheimer and I'm like, I should probably I, I might go see that now just because I've heard way more about it. Well, that's the genius play, right? So Oppenheimer didn't have, have the mark, the Barbie budget. They just had to somehow find a way of getting people to piggyback and buy the two tickets at the same time. I don't know how they did that. This thing. Yeah, it's just absolutely hilarious. Um, but obviously we can go on and on about the specifics behind Barbie. But if you're listening or watching and you're like a smaller business being like, well, I do not have a hundred million and I don't have the brand's recognition that Barbie has, what lessons can you learn here? And I think there's two big ones. The first one is getting out of your comfort zone oh. and being willing to take some risks, not stupid risks, but as Tim likes to say, calculated risks. Things that you've done research into, you've seen that there is potentially some interest in it. Like, I think if Barbie was to work with like an estate agent, that makes nearly zero sense right um so they would know okay that doesn't make sense but they think airbnb ah we can actually make something here so taking calculated risks and i think the second one as well is just really understanding your audience and where they are and what they're interested in outside of you um because it's very easy to kind of fall into that trap of like let's just focus on us what's good about us but if you actually understand your audience and see the different places they spend their time not just in platforms but the accounts that they follow on Instagram and the things they're interested in, then I think you can, even if you're not doing collaborations with those brands, you can kind of understand, you know, sorry, I'm totally rambling, but um, I saw like Monzo and was it Monzo? I think maybe Monzo and TripAdvisor like interacting on threads and it was really random. And I was like, why are these two people interacting? But it could be, you could stage some of those interactions yourselves because you know that you've got a similar audience or that your people are interested. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I would say the lessons. I don't know if you have anything to add to No, him. yeah, I, I, re I really, I think both of those are great. Like it's so easy, isn't it? And, and as marketers, we often fall into the trap of 
you know, what are the tools that we've got to play with? Well, we've got SEO, we've got pay-per-click, we've got some Facebook ads, but how do we actually use those? And is there anything that we could do which is completely wild and totally unexpected? And obviously some of these, the things that Barbie has done are huge, huge budget. Um, but I think this does just make us stop and think and say, okay, what could we do that would really surprise and delight our audience? And are there any collabs that they wouldn't be expecting, which would be really interesting? So yeah, I, I think this is, this is great. A lot of marketers will be looking at this and thinking, wow, right, this is, this is, this is true creativity, <laughs> which is weird yeah. to say about Barbie, but there you go. Yeah. No, really, it really, really is. They've been doing a lot of good stuff for a long time, like in terms of they knew that kids were watching a lot of more YouTube. So they started creating really lovely educational content about like managing your emotions and diversity and whatnot and putting that out on YouTube, which was really lovely and really was intended to engage that like six to seven year old audience and really offer something that parents would want to put their kids in front of in a sea of content that's very loud, is funny, very bright and colorful. Um, so I think, yeah, if you can kind of, if you see there's an opportunity in a place that you may not have considered doing stuff in the first place, it might just be that you need to do things a little bit differently. Or if you're finding that your brand is stagnating a bit, try and get back to your roots, try and get back to your, you know, your positioning and your priorities and what made you start the business and then try and make sure that you're still following that and you just haven't become like everyone else. Cause that's, that's where the issues really start to really start to show. What would Barbie do? What would Barbie do? Exactly. That's, 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 I'm going to start living by that, Tim. You know, I start asking you that every morning. So I give you some motivation. Anyway, we could spend, I could definitely spend this whole podcast and this live stream talking about Barbie, but we should probably talk a bit about the wonderful world of AI. As people seem to be a little bit angry at AI at the moment, which is very important for marketers to be aware of, just in case. Like AI is an amazing, awesome tool, right? But I think it's definitely got its risks and its limitations. And we should definitely be thinking about that. For instance, there's some Hollywood strikes happening at the moment with both actors and writers, which more for the writers is to do with AI, you know, big moguls are being like, well, why do we need to hire writers if we can just get AI to generate this? And there's companies like Twitter and Reddit making changes to their platforms because they don't want AI to scrape their data. We're also seeing lawsuits where the AI is directly plagiarizing somebody's book, somebody's website. Marketers aren't realizing that. They're then publishing this and then getting penalized. So really, I think the main thing to think about with AI is everything that we've said before is it's a tool. You shouldn't just be using it to funnel out loads of content and you should be considering, okay, let's make sure I'm not misinforming anybody. Let's sure I'm not plagiarizing everything. And working with marketing experts is what will set you apart. What are your thoughts on this, Tim? Yeah, I have a bit of a hot take, particularly on the actor's strike. I saw. And I think this, I think this has massive parallels to marketing as well. Um, and I know that not everyone's going to agree with this, but for me, the actor's strikes is very... Uh, it's like an important moment. And I think it's the first of many where, you know, if I'm a Silicon Valley VC and I'm investing loads of budget into AI software, like if I'm a Silicon Valley VC, my job is to get hyped about new technology, right? And I'll get hyped about anything, whether it's blockchain, whether it's AI, whatever. So you can't really trust the hype of a VC. What you can trust is when people are marching through the streets, holding signs up because 
something has to motivate people to do that. And how, what we've seen with the sort of unity amongst all the different characters in the, the, the Hollywood world, the, the film world, is, is quite unparalleled, I gather, since, you know, time when uh, Ronald Reagan was leader of the, the, the Academy or, or whatever it was. Um, so, you know, that, that shows that there's something real here. And I know there is some argument about money, but really the, the main crux of it is about AI. I think this just shows that the AI revolution, and it will be a revolution, is, is, is coming and it's going to be incredibly painful for people. If we look at the updates that have come out just in the last couple of weeks, we've got ChatGPT's code interpreter being widely available. We've got Claude 2 looking really good. We've got some great changes to Bard. And these are fantastic, useful tools for marketers, but they're going to have a devastating impact on some industries and some job roles in some industries. And we all have two choices here. We can either protest about their use and we can say we don't like this we believe that you know whether it's script writing or data analysis or, or whatever elements of marketing should be done by humans and that is right and that is fair or we can say okay this technology is here it's going to eat some of these roles it's going to do some of these roles and we need to kind of get behind that and embrace it so for me that the script writer's position in this argument is is not really um sustainable because what they're going, what they, what their outcome, that what they, the thing that they want to happen is for the Hollywood studios to say, right, we're not going to use AI for writing scripts. Well, the trouble is with that is if AI enables you to produce scripts much faster and much cheaper, that solution is going to win, right? Competitive market, that solution is going to win. The same with the actors' likenesses. If that, if the actors don't want their likenesses being used, okay, well the studios will find other actors or they'll create actors where they can use the likeness. Okay, so there's obviously a question about licensing and all that type of stuff and people need to be paid for their own likenesses. But being angry at a new technology is not usually a good position to be in because best case scenario, they force the, the, um, the studios to not use AI for scripts, to not use AI in their like, uh, for, for making characters' likenesses. Well, those studios are just going to be disrupted by other entertainment companies that can use this technology to produce great films and movies better faster cheaper and then you know they've kind of done a poo on their own doorstep so i think you've, you've got to be careful with these types of things and make sure that you're not going against the the, the market and how our system rewards new technology with, you know, with revenue. And of course, every disruption there are, you know, I'm a ex-professional drummer. When I started drumming, every song where you heard drums, that was a drummer in a booth recording drums. And there would be drummers being paid. There would be sound engineers being paid. There would be drum companies being paid, drum shops being paid, microphone companies. Now, when you hear drums, it's mainly electronic it's all done in someone's bedroom much faster much cheaper in software so each of those different suppliers whether it's the drum companies the microphone companies the drummers the sound engineers each of those has been massively disrupted by that and some of them don't exist anymore at least not in the size that they used to and you can either fight that or you can say okay this is how things are going to be i'm going to position myself for the future so I think as marketers we also have this choice to make as we see these tools coming down the pipe we can either decide to use them and embrace them, or we can take a very sort of, I don't want to say Luddite, but 
an old-fashioned response with our clients and say, no, these things are never going to, you know, it's never going to take over. It's ne- you, you're always going to need me to be at the center of this. And that's true, but only if you are also using those tools, because otherwise you're not taking a susceptible position. So I could go on for this, I go on about it forever, but I, I just think it's not a viable position and all of us need to be brace, embracing AI rather than sort of petitioning for it to be closed because that ain't going to happen. It's, you know, it's out, <laughs> it's done. Yeah, it definitely feels like we need to kind of find ways to work with it and use it to advance our own work and kind of work together. Um, on the topic of AI, we've noticed something at Exposure Ninja, which has been very interesting, which is that Google has been adding AI images to ads, whether you like it or not. Um, and it seems like the only solution to this is to upload your own images to your ads, which is has been very interesting um, and could, especially if you're a brand that really um, cares about your, you know, how your brand looks um, when it's out and about and you've never felt the need to add images to your ads on Google because they've been heavily search-based, um, you may be running into a situation where you've got pictures appearing that you didn't, <laughs> you didn't add, which has been quite a shocker. Um, I don't know if this is Google's, I don't know if this was an accident. Maybe they've implemented a tool that has been a little bit overexcited or if it's their kind of way of being like, as standard, your ads need images. We haven't communicated this to you very well, but if you don't put an image, we'll give you one, <laughs> you know? So I did think this was quite interesting. It's just kind of a little bit of a warning to anyone who might be listening or watching, um, that you need to check your Google ads because there may be random images attached to them that just do not look right. The AI is just going, well, this is an advert for shoes. We're just going to add some pictures of random shoes to this. I mean, it's, it sounds it sounds wild, doesn't it? But, you know, yeah. I, this is um sort so, of somewhat related topic. I saw, I was reading a great article by Marie Haynes yesterday and she was talking about Google's got this um, this AI tool, like a notebook LM, I think it's called. It's where you upload your own PDFs to this thing, and then you can interrogate, you can talk to the the chat uh, based on the information in your articles. And she was questioning whether this could actually be a new era for Google Search, because and and Google Ads, because. What if when you're asking uh, a Google chat, you know, maybe you're asking about how can I improve my website's ranking? What if you could then pay, uh, an advertiser could pay to say to that user, do you want to chat with the Exposure Ninja SEO chatbot, which would then train on all of our information, all of our training, all of our documentation. And that would be, you know, that would be a paid relationship. We'd pay and then that person would have a conversation with the chatbot and then we'd be able to, you know, bring them into our world. I thought that was fascinating. A new sort of, a, a new piece of surface area for Google search yeah. to, to target. So yeah, um, I'm super hopeful that Google's thinking that creatively and big props to Murray for an excellent idea. I'd back that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds fantastic. Like that really kind of helps with, you kind of have people who are like, I don't know if I can trust what the chatbot, the Google chatbot is saying, right? And they yep. may be more inclined to listen to a chatbot that's been trained by people who are actually experts in that thing, rather than just kind of the whole of the internet being 
scrapes for information. That's really, really fascinating. And it's it's nice to see that potentially a new type of ad will come out of all this AI stuff other than just ads with AI kind of integrated into them. That's um, very, very, very exciting. I think, yeah, we, we definitely shouldn't be afraid of AI ads. I think people will be able to spot if there's an AI ad and they're going to be like, that really sounds like AI. We talked about it in our recent um, video that just went up on our YouTube channel, our main YouTube channel at Exposure Ninja, which is all about um, PPC and an AI search world. But I think as well, there's definitely going to be some great opportunities for like personalization. If people are asking for something very, very specific, then, you know, the AI is going to be able to look at all your inventory or whatever you're selling and serve up something that really is tailored to that person. You know, you're not having to think of every feature and every benefit that you can include in one singular ad for this product because the features and benefits that you have will be shown to that person who's looking for those yeah. specific things. So I think, yeah, there's definitely some really exciting things that are that are going to be coming with AI ads. Absolutely. Totally agree. Yes. Yes. Should we touch on quick, very quick SERP volatility on Google before we leave? I think we should, yes. This is one for anybody who's interested in SEO, which should be all of you watching or listening right now. Tim knows a bit more about this than I do, but I'm going to go in with it in my most layman-ish terms so that if you're very new to kind of talking about the, how volatile the Google algorithm can be, basically, Tim might correct me on this, the Google algorithm is either normal and kind of steady, changing a normal amount, or it's changing not at all, which we see very, very rarely, or it's changing so, so much. And there's loads of different signals that are being sent off and things aren't behaving in the way we would normally expect them to. Um, so yeah, it's got some, I think Moz call it weather. They yeah. refer to it as it's got bad weather. Um, but I think Tim will be able to explain what's on earth all these numbers and colors and graphs mean far better than I'll be able to. Yeah, I don't think there's anything to panic here about. Um, and we'll probably see this sort of volatility to, uh, we'll probably see this sort of volatility continue as Google continues experimenting with what's, you know, what features it uses in its search results pages. Um, I think a lot of these volatility measurement tools use slightly different calculation methods. I'm, just here on the the SEMrush one, um, if you go to uh, semrush.com forward slash sensor, and and what this shows exactly how just said the, basically there's a there's a score given about um, that that relates to how many search engine results pages. So all of these tools track a certain number of searches uh, per day, and they track how those search results are changing not just the sites that are ranking, but also the features that are being shown in those searches. So is this search bringing up a featured snippet? Is this search bringing up site links, FAQs, reviews, or whatever? And then by measuring how much of this is changing on a daily basis, they come up with this volatility score. And then uh, like the SEMrush one uh, shows different volatility levels for different types of website. And the, the news story here is that Google has been in what's called Google Quake state uh, for a few days now. Google Quake being when there's massive volatility. It's a little bit like the earthquake, um, you know, I don't know, or whatever, the Richter scale. It's a bit like that. Basically, huge levels of volatility. So lots of testing going on on Google. 
Sometimes this can be down to new algorithm updates, like different ways of ranking websites. Sometimes it can be down to Google uh, showing more SERP features. So for example, in the most recent um, situation here, one of the biggest changes is um, the number of searches which are bringing up ads. So 4.41% of um, of uh, Google searches are bringing up ads in the top of the search results page, which is up 1.01. Uh, uh, so that's quite a significant increase. And there's a similar sort of thing um, with the ads showing at the bottom of the search results pages as well. So what we're seeing is Google testing a lot more search results pages with ads. There's much higher volatility in some areas than others. For example, to be fair, most um, areas are seeing higher volatility than health, which is a lot lower at 8.6 rather than sort of 9.3s, 9.4s, like a lot of other areas. As always, our advice with this is stick to the fundamentals of SEO. A lot of people get really panicked about this and think, do I need to change stuff on my website? Do I need to change my marketing? No, you absolutely don't. You have no control over which features Google is showing in the search results. So it's pointless panicking about those things. What's best to do instead is focus on making amazing content, getting loads of links to it, getting loads of visibility for your brand, and then keeping an eye on what SERP sort of furniture you're seeing in the search results that you're targeting. So if you're seeing featured snippets, for example, then do the stuff that targets featured snippets. If you're seeing uh, you know, image search, uh, featuring in the search results pages that you're targeting, make sure you're optimizing your image for search, you know, same with video and that type of thing. So our advice doesn't change, but there's a lot of panic in the SEO world anytime something like this happens, because people are thinking, is this a new Google algorithm update? To be honest, I don't think anyone's got a concrete answer yet. Um, and we would expect this sort of volatility to continue as things like AI get uh, more heavily integrated into search results. Yeah, this is the thing. It's it's just one of those things that's kind of, it's a good measurement. Like let's say you've seen a bit of a traffic drop on pages that you wouldn't normally expect it or things seem a little bit different, pages aren't converting as well, then that could potentially be why maybe you're not showing up for searches um, that you've consistently showed up in position one for and you might find that it's just because some of these things are changing. So yeah, I think that's pretty much it for today, Tim. Would you say so? Yes, thanks Jess, as always. No worries. Yes. Hope everybody, we got through a lot today um, as we had to for our, our first podcast together back. We are here every Tuesday. We're live over on our high performance marketing podcast channel over on YouTube. You can also catch Tim um, every Monday with a new exciting video. We also offer free website and marketing reviews, which you can request over at ExposureNinja.com slash review. Anything else to add to? Nope. Have a good week, everyone. Cool. Have a good week, everyone. Bye. Bye.